Hello, everyone, and welcome to Carbide Content. I am Dalen from MachineWise. I am David from Contraption Collection. I am Grant from Fellowship Blades. And I'm John from Triaxis. And I was not prepared for that intro. So, Grant, how you doing? I'm good. Uh, sorry about the audio, everybody. I'm at the shop, and I was not intending to be at the shop, but here we are. So. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, so we, we were having some blade issues. And I was messing around with everything and I was like, you know what, I'm just gonna revert it back and went back to square one and that we were getting good blades coming off and we got good blades yesterday and then this morning I came in and Zeke was like, dude, all the blades op one and two, they're all bad. Like, oh no. And so we were sitting there and it's it's like really bad. Like it you would look at it and be like, the pallet's not locked down, the tool chipped the tooth, like everything is rough. I'm on the bevels and we're sitting there and, and we're like, everything's right. Like it, we did everything. The pallet was locked down. The, the tool paths were all the, literally the same exact program from yesterday because we, now that we have serial sequential serializing, we didn't even change the program. Yep. And, um, and I'm sitting there and I'm looking at the, the finishing end mill and Zeke was like, I looked at the finishing end mill and I can see that it's clearly set something, but the finishing end mill also finishes the outer contour. Um, okay. so it clearly cut the outer contour. I'm, I can see a shiny spot kind of halfway up the end mill, right. but the, the tip of the end mill looks brand spanking new. Oh. And so what happened was I'm guessing a chip was on the tool setter and it, it um, mismeasured oh, yeah. the finishing end mill and thus the finishing end mill didn't run. Yeah. Didn't um, you have this happen last week? It did, except I measured it last week. Zeke did not. <laughs> Ah. This time Zeke was the one measuring, and yep. um, so we're, we're both learning the same lesson. Yep. Um, anyway, so long story short, I was like, no problem. I'll post the code with just the finishing pass, and then I'll stay a little bit later, and then I'll run the next, you know, after this yeah. come out, I'll reset it and run the next blades overnight and go yep. home. And when I was posting the code, I looked at it, and I should have known better. I looked, I posted it, and I was like, two-hour program, no problem. <laughs> Because I was just adding up the the individual elements, but uh-huh. I forgot that I'm patterning it three times. <laughs> uh. so, so it's a six hour program, and so we started at like two thirty, and here I am at eight thirty, and it's almost yeah. done. I've been there um, many a time. Yeah. So. So I have a, What were you changing on the program? Well, so I was getting. I, I was chasing something I shouldn't have been chasing. I, I was uh, going to ask. Yeah, so so we've gotten we've gotten rid of all of the like actually milling defects in the blade pattern. So we get shiny blades coming off the the pallet per single rougher, and then we swap things around. Great. Yep. Um, However, the op so technically the op one, but it really runs second. So it's the op two's worth of of tool life. Right. those blades have very slight chip streaking. Not okay. it's it is imperceptible after tumbling, but it is one side is literally a mirror, and the other side has every once in a while a streak going yep. through it. And and it's obviously a tool life thing because it's it's the more rigid setup, and they're getting chip streaking, and it's the second one to run. Right. So I was just I was just messing with things, trying to improve tool life. Like uh-huh. being a little bit more aggressive, being a little bit less aggressive, uh, yep. taking out a semi-finished pass, putting in a semi-finished, you know, whatever. 
and it got to the point where I kept changing things so much that it actually we got to a point where we were we scrapped like fixed blades. Uh-huh. Um, and I was like, shoot, okay, I got to reset. So it's I don't think it's something I can realistically get out right now. And because I, I tweaked everything I could think of both ways, right. and it, oh, yeah. it didn't improve. Um, yep. But it's also like we get literally perfect blades out. It's just a I, I would love to be able to put a blade right off the mill and have someone go, I don't know what the difference is between the sides. And that's what I yeah. was aiming for, but that's... <laughs> uh-huh. I mean, work. I know I've been doing that exact same thing, chasing feeds and speeds and, and any little thing I could change to try to get better tool life for the first two weeks of Opus production. Yeah, yep. Yeah. Um, funny enough, my temporary solution was just to jack the RPM to max and have like a 50 I- millionth chip load. My goodness gracious. Uh, I was like, I've tried everything else. <laughs> so you, so what, is it 12K on, on that? Yeah, I got, I have, I have 12K for that. It's also so an 8th running... small end mill though, so I'm running, you know, on a, a smaller okay. diameter than an 8th inch because it's not milling on the full side. But right. See, if, you're, if you're not getting rubbing, it makes me wonder if there's like not enough rigidity in your setup. But in my particular, it's, I mean, it's possible. I'm on a, you know, BT30 mill with uh the palette is a little thinner than it should be i know there is some rigidity issues going on at least earlier i don't think i'm having those issues now i mean you're making nice looking parts though so yeah they're 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 good enough but i'm sure shooting for better yeah so i'm i'm wondering because my thing is clearly it's not even a, a tool life thing like the the end mill chip something like the end mill is like new but i i believe it's a chip getting stuck and or or maybe yeah, the end mill is rolling just enough that it's dragging some imperceptible amount of steel around. Yep. Um, and that's what's causing the weird scratches because it's it's not a like it's not a rigidity <laughs> thing. It's not a vibration thing. It's just a streak where it shouldn't be. Um, right. So I'm wondering if if that a 50 million chip load would make the chips so small that they wouldn't get stuck. If that if, if that actually logically makes sense. It's possible. Um. Although you're using that three sixteenths, right? No, mine's a minor quarter. Quarter, okay. Um, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's just such different cutting geometries on the tip of that thing versus the end of a ball end mill. Yeah, that's true. I, but yeah. I mean, if I have really good luck with these OSG end mills, um, I'll sing their praises and recommend you yeah, their line. I'm hoping for it because that's less than half the half the cost of mine. And if they say it's better. right, yeah, yeah, I'm I I got my. I got my oil in today for the uh, for the MQL setup. Nice. So uh, I'll be ready to do everything c- perfectly correctly. Hopefully soon. Well, so how is uh, how's y'all's weeks going? I want to hear about John's uh, disassembling his entire hoss in the yeah, last. Yeah. Week. <laughs> Leave the hoss alone. <laughs> <laughs> What did you do to it? Yeah, we've only been greasing CNC machines for like 70 years. It's hard yeah, to get right. it right. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah. yeah. Sorry. No. Um, uh, where do I start? There was a clog. What happened? What happened yeah, okay. and why? So the way the Haas grease system works for the excesses is it uses a canister of grease. Yep. And it uses air pressure and it pressurizes the 
uh, manifold, I guess, or the where the grease is, and then it basically just forces the grease with this air pressure. Mm-hmm. And then, so basically, it'll hit like 75 psi on this gauge. It'll like pressurize it, and then it'll just send it through this little manifold, and then it'll go to on mine. It's got four lines, and so once the grease actually, let's say, leaves like one of the trucks for the axes then that pressure behind that grease is gone to atmosphere. So it's going to like mm-hmm. depressurize essentially on that line. Right. So once all four, you know, all, all that pressure leaves the system, then that gauge is supposed to go to zero. So what was happening on mine was the interval, the grease interval on mine was like six hours. So basically every six hours it would auto pressurize the system and it would auto grease what it was supposed to. Well, there was still pressure in the system after six hours which basically means that one of the lines is unable to get to atmosphere essentially. And that that's how it signals. There's a clog somewhere, which makes sense. Yeah. The system doesn't tell you which one it is because it pressurizes a manifold and it equally splits the pressure between four lines from what I can understand. i never took the manifold apart, but um, that's why like if one line depressurizes others don't, because they still have their pressure stuck in the line. The pressure's not allowed to go back out of the manifold. There's like a check valve. Right. Um, and so that's why, like, if only one axis is clogged, but the others are not, it won't just drain the system pressure all the way. It'll still okay. show system pressure. So it doesn't individually tell you which one's wrong, but there's a way to test it. You just plug each axis uh, and then run the system. And then the one that actually drops or the one that holds pressure, you know, is clogged. Well, I did that and. they all showed that they were all clogged. So I was like, what the heck? Like, this is actually a a test that you can do that, like the maintenance thing online has, you can do. And I'm like, okay, that's interesting. So all of them are clogged. (laughs) So so there I was. um, And the way the the control works, it's just giving you, it gives you a warning that there's residual pressure. But I guess if it does it like three times in a row, it'll actually alarm out. Oh. And tell you that you should probably stop running your stuff because you're grinding metal against itself. Unlubricated. Yeah. So I was like, okay, there's pressure in the system. The little test shows that the system, every axis has pressure. So I guess I'm going to tear down the entire thing because I don't right. want to spend 10 grand or whatever replacing uh-huh. the ball screw or something. So I like, took it apart Saturday and then I was like, okay, well, it's still getting grease and stuff. And then went through... On Monday, I went through the procedure of actually getting to the its plastic line from the back cabinet up to the actual table. Then the table, it turns into like a little manifold block that is copper. And then there's copper hard lines from there. Okay. So the, the way they have, if a tech has to come out and do this, what they'll do is they'll unscrew the the plastic lined input into this little manifold block. And then they'll hook up like um, like a grease valve or they have some special oil pump they'll use. But essentially, you can pressurize the system at the axis through here. So you're isolating basically like, oh, just the x-axis grease points. So what I did was I spent, spent all of Monday <laughs> trying to get a grease fitting to fit onto this, this uh, port because it's under the table. And it's in the middle of the table, and it's right in front of the one of the x-axis. Um, why am I drawing a blank on what they're called? 
You know the thing the table actually rides on? Not the ball screw. The uh, uh, linear, uh, linear rail? Yeah. yeah, the rails. Yeah. So it's like you have you have a one and a half inch gap between where you can see this thing and the linear rail. And of course, you don't want to scratch that thing. Yep. And then like, oh, you can go from the sides. But of course, the ball screws in the way. <laughs> so you're like <laughs> trying to get this this stupid one eighth NPT fitting in this thing. And I didn't have one of these oil pumps and I wasn't about to spend like 200 plus dollars on buying one. So what I got through some research was you could take a grease gun and you could use that to pressurize the system and that would have enough yeah. pressure to actually uh, break free whatever it was maybe because you don't want to go over 3000 PSI on the copper lines because they'll burst. Yeah. Turns out a grease gun can go up to 7000 PSI and I was Whoa. like, oh, that's crazy. But it Holy makes crap. sense when you think about it because how would you grease bearings under load on like heavy equipment? Yeah. So, and uh, when you do like a pump of a grease gun, like a regular free easy pump, it's only going to generate like 200 PSI. If you have to sit there and really crank the handle, that's when you're generating like a really um, a large amount of pressure. Okay. So yeah. That's you can kind of tell when it's going to be a lot of pressure. Right. Um, and so what I did was I got a mini grease gun and Haas recommends when you unclog these to use like uh, DTE 24, which is like a mobile one bearing. It's a hydraulic oil, I think. Okay. It had like DT light and I was like close enough. And I know <laughs> that they're completely different, but it's hydraulic oil as well. And I was like, yeah. well, it's the closest thing I have. So I'm just going to use this. So I modified a grease gun to become an oil gun <laughs> and then pressurized the system using this. And I was like, okay, I can't really tell, but I'm almost certain that oil is getting into the it's actually flowing through here so after i did that and mind you it took i don't know how many hours to actually after the uh tractor supply run the home depot run the Uh harbor freight run (laughs) all three separate times (laughs) trying to get this thing all together just getting stupid fittings and stuff and i was like (laughs) pretty done at this point and it was only the x-axis i was like okay i can see the other like the Z and Y is getting grease. So I'm like, okay, it can't be this. So I ended up like buttoning it all back together on Tuesday. And I was like, if it's not getting grease, I don't care anymore. <laughs> Cause Yo. I was so done with it. And I was like, the last thing I have to look at is where does this fourth line go? Cause it doesn't make any sense. And so the fourth line goes to the, the tool changer, but there's no information on anything about a grease system for the tool changer. And I was like, I had no idea there was a grease line. That goes to the tool changer, but lo and behold, this last line goes there. So follow it up. There's a cam gear behind the the actual tool pot plate where the tool pots bolt to. There's okay. a cam gear. That's actually what's driven to spin the entire wheel, essentially. Oh, it's a little Geneva gear thing. Uh, it's actually yeah. So it's a I don't I don't know gears specifically by their name, but Haas calls it a cam gear. It's essentially. Okay a big, I don't know, it's probably like a hundred tooth cam gear. And then there's an actual, I don't know what you call it. Is it another cam gear? That's actually driven off a servo. And that's what spins it. Ah, gotcha. Yeah, so there's a greaser that, and I'm just calling it a greaser. It's basically a nozzle that is floating right above the mating, these two gears mating together. And the way Hawes restricts the flow of this greaser, if you think about it like, the interval is six hours. 
which is is a decent time. If you're greasing all the axes, which move an actual uh, linear distance quite a lot farther than that cam gear, you don't want to grease that cam gear as much as you're greasing like the ball screw and the axes, because you're going right. to literally like soak the, the tool changer. Yeah. So what what Haas does to restrict the flow of this is it's not an actual hole. They use they they use an 880, I think it's a or a 080 screw. Is that, is that the des- designation? Not 80, yeah. yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um the a, an 880 screw into a nut. The restrictor is the thread gap. <laughs> oh my gosh. So wow. They're forcing they're forcing grease through through the actual gap that is the threads and this is supposed to be the restrictor now wow so this this actually it works when it's supposed to but haas has had a problem with this grease system since its introduction in 2014 with clogging Uh systems starting with like red grease which was really bad and then they went to purple which was supposed to fix it and then tan which was supposed to fix it when the machine, I got the machine in 2019, it had a purple gre- grease in it, and then I switched to tan well over a year ago. Um, there was still, there's purple grease that was stuck in the line uh, at the actual... Like, it looked purple. Oh. Yeah, it's solid purple. And so that cam gear only had grease oil, like the grease had separated and turned just into oh, oil. Oh, no. Yeah. And so it turned into a wax plug at the... <laughs> at, whatever you want to call it nozzle thing so uh, yeah i was like okay sweet i'm just happy to have found it now right yeah like i'm not like mad or anything it's just like it's like i'm not gonna be like well you guys should come fix it under like this is your fault like i get it you know the machine's well out of warranty like i could have done something stupid but it's just like and then on top of that Haas switched back to oil in oct like the beginning of october is when this the month? service or this year yeah Jeez. yeah and so Damn. they switch in in august all the new machines are getting this oil but the actual service like field service update was in october and i was like huh what what timing i gotta say right? and the oil they switched to is actually it's like iso 1000 i don't really know how oil ratings work but i don't either very thick gear oil and it oh. is gear oil like it smells like gear oil okay um, and it is much, it's oil. It's much more fluid, obviously, than grease. Mm-hmm. Um, but that is what they changed to. So. ISO 1000. Jeez. I need, like, my machines require ISO 32 to 68. Yeah. I don't, I don't necessarily understand because the way, the reason it's listed 1000 is like it said something about kinematic velocity is what that rating was changing. And from oh. the very limited research I did trying to find an alternative was, that was the the actual drop amount through a specially like shaped vial from gravity. Oh. And that was like the I don't remember. It was either like oh, it's, how much it was I don't know. It's measured it was like in millimeters. Yep. So yeah, it also I think has of. to do with the how like the viscosity changes relative to temperature, maybe. Yeah. I, think, I, I think this was actually it was it was a uh, viscosity based on weight or something. And yeah. Not okay. Yeah. And it was interesting because like the next rated one was like 680. So you're talking like a huge percentage change to a thousand. Right. Jeez. Well, so what's yeah. interesting is if you, if you ever run out of oil and you look up the manual and, and you look at 
emergency alternatives. I'm pretty sure it's a 680 weight gear oil that they recommend because that's what I got one time just to yeah. keep okay. up and running for a little bit. So that was the that was the old rating, but the the grease one they've changed. They basically the grease column they just removed and said, "Oh, we changed to the to oil." And then the alternative now is also is a 1000 ISO 1000. Interesting. Like, yeah. Yeah, I I don't know how like oil manufacturing works on on oh. scale, but I would guess that somebody made this spec oil and then everyone else is like, you know, here's the formula, you can pay us for it and then like brand yeah. it under your own thing because it's yeah. literally the same spec is what the alternative is. Hmm. Uh, yeah. So uh, I, I don't know. It, but does that just go into a VF2 or do you have to actually swap out components to run on oil? The only thing you have to swap is a you actually now add a restrictor to the side mount um, tool changer line and it's a 20 thou nozzle restrictor. And right. that's on top of that, um, the one that's up at the tool changer. But all you literally have to do is take the canister out. The new oil comes in the same canister mm-hmm. and thread this new restrictor on to the line that's going to be right there at the cabinet. And then put the new canister on. And that's literally it. That's all you have that's to do. Bad. Yeah, okay. no, it's yeah, an so easy it's conversion. Just... And it was $94. So it's oh. not like unreasonable. Um, you are going to be buying more in fluid because it's now a three hour interval and it's, uh-huh. you know, it's, it's oil. Yep. Um, yeah. So this you're on separate oil from the whey oil, right? There is, this is the whey oil. This is what yep. Haas was using oh, grease oh. instead of oil. Oh, see, yeah. that's, I was talking to Dalen about this. I, I, um, I saw on like new Duzan machines, they started using, uh, grease cartridges instead of whey oil. And uh, I feel like every Haas I've used has used liquid oil. I don't feel like I've used a Haas that has, uh, like, grease instead of whey oil. But maybe I'm yeah. crazy. In in 2014, they went to grease. Yep. So if you use something older than that, it was like Vectra 2, which is a mobile mobile one product. I use yeah. that. The but did, did you say they went back and forth? Because I've used machines that are, like, from, like, the 90s and stuff. So No, they it was all oil up until 2014 when they went to grease. Oh were, right, okay, yeah, that after. makes that 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 uh, that makes sense for the machines I've used then. Yeah, I mean, I, like I don't I don't know what. So grease has a lot of benefits over oil for something like this, but then also there's this one drawback about grease. Yeah, you know this Tractor. one drawback. There's another one like, though too. Yeah, um, and, and, chip packing. True, but I also like I don't know if Haas went to this speck of oil because they don't want to get calls about like, hey, there's now oil in my coolant. What did you do to this change? Like it was supposed to be a one to one. You're not supposed to lower my quality of life type thing. But then at mm-hmm. the end of the day, like that's totally a separator. Thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like your oil's getting in your coolant regardless. Now it's just yeah, seriously. Oil. But yep. So I wonder if it's like it's spec like that, but I was almost doing the thing where I'm like, okay, I'm just gonna run like actual whey oil, and then I was like, no wait, just actually switch it and forget about it. Like you don't okay. need to re-engineer the wheel here. Yeah, so. yeah, we had a bunch of Haas uh, office mills uh, at my old company, and mm-hmm. um, they also ran grease, and every machine probably once a week would start homing the wrong direction in the mornings because all the grease would start building up under the weight covers and then the what? chip would get stuck in that grease and then that wow. those chips would trigger the, the the limit switch. 
And so it just hmm. keeps going the wrong direction, trying to get off the limit switch. It'll it'll crash the table into Damn. the column. Damn. Jeez. Yes, it's great. Yeah. I hope that the Doozan machines <laughs> don't have these problems. No. You know what? Like, at the end of the day, like, every single machine is going to have a problem. I mean, yeah. This sure. is everything this... that is mechanical will break eventually. Yeah, this is kind of like a tangent. I'm not mad at Haas or anything for this. I mean, like, the joke about the grease thing for seven years, that's still true. Like, we figured it out. But, like, every machine's going to have problems. And, like, the machine is three years old now. Like, yeah. It, it's. It's run this entire time. I got unlucky with it clogging. Who knows why? That's just how it is. It's fixed. Right. I don't really care that much. Yeah. It was frustrating for sure, but I wasn't like, Haas is the worst thing ever, blah, blah, blah. But I saw this video. Now I almost never watched like Titan videos, but there was one about yep. like they're doing all they're like on a Haas hit piece. Yeah, yeah. Like, they, months. They're going hard they're like, for some reason. I'm like, oh, the sponsorship thing wasn't renewed or something. Cause like yeah, right. the last one was about like horsepower and stuff. Now Haas does do the classic like Haas power joke. Uh-huh. <laughs> but like it was so it was such like the way the video structured, and then it, you know, it's like, yeah, so this is Doosan and like this is how their thing structured. See, they're being honest about everything. And I was like, it's all bullshit. Like, yeah, it's yeah. all marketing. Like, this is literally content marketing to make you feel mm-hmm. like, oh, I made the right choice type thing. And like, no matter what you buy, he you built his business with Haas machines. You know, they can't be that bad. Uh, like, I'm not saying they're the best in the world or that they're better than Duzan, but Titan, like oh. his Discovery TV show, was like sponsored by Haas, and he made yeah. tons of parts. Yep. But, like. My my point is, no matter what you buy, like something's gonna have a problem, and like you, and then the same thing with like the content marketing thing, like you just need to be skeptical about everything because it's like oh, yeah. you're telling you guys are telling me this is a good machine, but you were sponsored by them, like, yep. yeah. and then you're telling me the company you're not sponsored by is bad, like, yeah, that's you just need to yeah. put, you need to put two and two together, and people exactly. don't do it. No, they, I wouldn't mind a hit piece if it's not a huge conflict of interest. Yeah. But people, anyways, people can badmouth stuff if, if they're not also getting yeah. paid by someone else. Yep. I mean, yep. every machine I've owned uh, throughout the machine wise career has had issues. Yeah. Even even the brand new one I bought, my Mighty, it 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 has really weird, loud X axis that they can't figure out. My Miltronics freezes just randomly. Yeah. Hey, and they can't figure that out. <laughs> you said you had your Haas for three years. I've had yep. my Tormach for four years and it hasn't had any problems I mean, that it didn't enough, have like almost immediately. That's it. Uh, Time to sell the Hans. I'm getting a Tormach. You know, funny <laughs> enough, I've never had a real issue with a Tormach machine other than their tool changers just not being the best. Yeah. yeah. Uh, every problem I've had with the Tormach, grinder. it was yep. like right away, it's like, oh, this yep. is not super great. And then my, it's been pretty yeah. steady. I mean, my two and a half year old 440 is sitting in a corner engraving blades with surface rust all over it. Um, nice. And it's it's never, never had an issue. Mine's yeah. making blades right now. Yeah, right. <laughs> yep. Machines are always trying to go back to the earth, so we try yep. really yeah, hard. Exactly. We need but. to nerf entropy a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So and then and then I I changed the did a full coolant change today and yesterday yep. and today and you know how that that's goes. an evolved process. Yeah. And then, yeah, I changed. I cleaned the um, the coolant skimmer, so I got like one of the next gen ones. Like, what do they call it? Like a Colesker or whatever. Cole yeah, oh yeah, we have the same one. It's the acrylic box, right? Yeah, and it works really Things good. Are awesome. 
and I was like, how are you, how am I going to clean this, this screen thing? So I actually un, undid the big center bolt and split all the media part. It took me like oh. two hours to clean that thing. I was like, this is a horrible idea. I'm just never going to clean mine. Yeah. The problem it's is like, I have microchips in it. So like, Oh, I do too. I have in, yeah, we, yep. I just leave it. I don't care. Yeah. I think I'd rather put a filter before or after it. <laughs> yeah, and I almost did that, and I was like, "Nope, you do not need to spend time doing this." Like, what right. is this thing? It's the it's the coolant skimmer that you see everyone has. It it's like a white tank with these weird fins in it, and it pulls coolant up into it, and then separates oil out of it. Works really, really, really good. Here we go. I uh, installed. Uh, I have a coolant skimmer on my tank that it's like I think I bought it before Tormox started selling their own. But I think it's basically identical, where it's just like the belt that turns. Wait, what? <laughs> like, uh, like to get rid of whey oil or in your yeah. coolant tank. Yeah, like the, uh, like the disc one. No, there's no, a, it's it's like a, a it's like a belt. I have a, yeah, I have a belt one on the lathe because the lathe actually uses whey oil. And my God, does it use whey oil? <laughs> yeah, it's like a half a gallon a month. Oh my god! Yeah, when I first got my Mighty, they had way, way overtuned the the oiler. Yeah, um, it was it was going through an entire tank of oil. I don't know how many quarts it is, or but it you know a standard oil tank. Yeah, uh, in a day. Hmm. Yeah, that's that's a bit. Holy cow! And so I spent like three months every day dialing it back a little bit more. Yeah. I'm oh, always like, crazy. I'm always concerned about that stuff because I'm like, I don't really know what's an appropriate interval. So yeah, just I just kind of, I I based it off of what I've seen other machines do in the past, and like I still see oil is getting used, so I'm content with it. I guess. Yeah. I I just wanted my monthly oil bill to be cheaper than my payment for the machine. <laughs> yeah, for real. I think that's a good starting point, at least. Sounds reasonable. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. the first two months, I spent more on oil in a month in those two months than the machine payments. My uh, my way oiler on the Tormach is set to a timer that I forget what it is, but you know the instruction manual for the Tormach setting it up at it, but it only does the timing based on if the spindle's on. You like wire it up to the to the same uh, power as the spindle, so I don't know. If that's a good or a bad thing, it's probably good enough to cover like a decent interval kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, I don't. Uh, yeah. And they say to like, if you don't use the machine for 48 hours to just like manually hold the button for like four seconds gotcha. uh, when you start up the machine. Yeah. My Tormach has the the manual oiler. That 440 is as manual as it can get for a CNC. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So that was that was my week. I just okay. stopped breaking. You know, it's, it's... You know, out of all the things that have broke recently, the most annoying one is the the um, one hundred thou jog increment button on the lathe broke. Oh, really? What? That's I I don't want to have stopped. that button. It just it just stopped working. So I'm like, oh okay, oh, I need to move the turret for put it in one thou increment three thousand oh, times later. Just hook it up to a to, to a hand drill. Yeah, oh, I was like, gosh. really? Gosh. Really? Yeah, then like the grease zerk on the tumbler was stripped out. I was like, what is going on? <laughs> Jeez. 
Well, hey, everything's fixed now, so it's time for production, right? Yep. I'm Excellent. sure nothing else will break. <laughs> yep, I'm knocking on wood for you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I admire your positive spirit, John. Yeah, I I always like tell people I'm like I always feel the way I fix things takes like three times as long. But my God, if you looked at that tool changer, you'd be like, this machine is not older than six months. Like it can't be. Thing is pristine. But... I mean, I was I was surprised how clean that was in there. Yeah, I mean, there's a couple like before where it's pretty pretty gross but i don't cut anything that's like well you guys know we make small chips yeah. so oh like, yeah exactly yeah. there was i tried to old coolant i try to wipe down all the tool pots and like the tool changer on the mighty at least once a month and by the month ends it's just all grody again yeah yep yep we should so, just yeah. hook up wet vac shop vacs to the spindles and just vacuum up all the coolant immediately <laughs> put it through some sort of filter yeah. yeah maintenance is is so weird it's like it really is when things are good things are good and then when things break you're like i mean i haven't yeah. fortunately i haven't had to maintenance my mighty at all yeah since i got it fortunately the weight covers have only been off once and that was when the tech came out to see why it was loud in x mm-hmm. to which there were no findings yeah oh well yeah it's it's covered under warranty because i brought up that issue long before the warranty ended so nice and uh, Dalen, how's, how's your week? David, whoever um, wants to go. <laughs> I guess I'll go. It's actually been surprisingly good. I took off a couple days last week. I was going through some burnout. Um, just overall generic stress and burnout and yada yada. I know we've all been through it. Before, um, yeah, before you continue. Now, when you say take a day off, do you actually mean like you don't even go into the shop? Or does that mean like, oh, no, yeah, well, I, I, took, I want to? I took Thursday mostly off. I did have the meeting with the OSG tooling guy on Thursday for like 45 minutes. So I went to the shop briefly on Thursday. Um, But aside from that, I didn't work at all on Thursday, Friday, Saturday, or Sunday. I I didn't check Instagram a single time throughout those four days. I didn't think about work for those four days. Um, It's good. Instagram can be tough when you have like 30 messages and you're like, I'm sorry. I I mean, fortunately for me, the Instagram DM notification, like when you open up Instagram and it shows you how many messages you have, it just caps at 20 for me. Okay. <laughs> so it's it's not, it's not a point of stress because I'm just like, oh, it's only 20. Whatever. Yeah. I feel like these are, these are in reality, it's like probably 80 or 90. But, it's just um, an example number in the UI. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. yeah exactly. Yeah, mine, mine, mine cuts off at 500. I don't know. Oh, really? Guys. No, just kidding. Oh, I was kind of saying, geez. <laughs> but um so yeah i didn't you know it was really nice those four days uh it was a little bit hard to get back on monday but uh i kind of kicked back into gear by the end of monday and then after tuesday it was it was back to back to get shit done mode which is really nice nice you guys um, get anxiety when you haven't machined for a while i don't yeah where, well where i mean like it's like oh shit i don't want to forget any little thing you know no like just oh, like getting started up again, it's like I gotta get in the groove. Like I don't want to crash a tool. How do I? Yeah, no, I know, haven't. Fortunately, I haven't get had back that. in the the you know the. Yep. Things just are a reflex, you know. Yep. I have an interesting history though with taking breaks from machining. You know, I've I say I've been a machinist since I was fifteen, which is more or less true. But um, there was a point in my life where I didn't do anything in my life for like three years, let alone be a machinist. Um, and some other things here and there. Uh, and I always end up just getting back into it really easily, I guess. 
Gotcha. That's good. Yeah, fortunately. So yeah, I didn't have any anxiety with that at least, but yeah, I've just been assembling knives all week. Nice. I yeah, I've done, I, mean, I think I've assembled I've I've assembled 54 in the last like two and a half days. And now I have to sharpen 30 of those tomorrow and finish out the last seven for assembly and then box them all and all that good stuff before Saturday. Ah, that's easy. You should have before you assemble them, right? No. No? It's easier. Well, I, don't, it, I don't know. It's, it's, uh, yeah, it's easier to sharpen it easier to hold on to it? Yeah, it's, it, it, it gives you a leverage point when you're sharpening. Okay. Um, it's also, I'm not concerned about me cutting myself if I'm as, assembling a sharp knife, but... um. My previous assembly techs, I thought about sharpening before assembling. They're like, please don't do that. Mm-hmm. I was like, all right. Uh, it might be cool. You could make some kind of little fixture. I mean, because like there is the risk of you like, you know, grinding into the handle, but yep. that might, might be a problem for you because you've done it a lot. But uh, if you have employees maybe making some like magnetic fixture or something that gives you more to hold on to. Yeah. That you can stick a blade to. Um. Yeah. I. I don't know. I haven't really thought about sharpening before assembly in a while. Maybe I'll revisit it, but I, it is nice to be able to just, you know, grab the blade as hard as you want when you're assembling and tweaking things in. I kind of mm-hmm. wish I could, because I don't, I'll sharpen them before assembly. Okay. And I kind of wish that, the reason I don't is because the way the bearings are set up, I don't want to get, like, any, any grit, grit or, uh-huh. or anything into them, and then it's yeah. like... Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But I lube it I've before. I've close to... Cutting yeah, with off. bearings, it's a little bit, I, it's a little trickier, I guess. Um, yeah. With with the bushing stuff, I'll fully assemble, I'll oil it, make sure it's all good, and then I'll sharpen it, I'll wipe it all down, and then I'll I'll blow out the pivots and put in fresh oil. And yeah, it, it, if any grit gets inside, it just gets caught by the oil on the outside, so. Yeah. Yeah, yeah bearings will be a little trickier. What Do you sharpen assembled, Grant? Uh, yeah, um... I had I had the brief thought of like, hey, we could just sharpen them all, unassemble them, and put them together. And then the first day I did that, Rage cut himself. And uh huh. Okay. Yep. Yeah. I, I right. think I think you'd have to have some kind of jig or fixture or something or three D uh, print sleeves, I guess, for the blades or but... clamps. Um, well, with with the uh, with our sharpeners, um, I just clamp it up and use the tool, like the actual the handle pivot thing, as as the guide. It's easy so my blades are really wide so i have kind of yeah I yeah i don't have a lot of plant force on my blades i got skinny little things yeah uh, plus I, uh with the our, our sharpening options on the site i basically put them all together take pictures sell them and then we sharpen them yeah do people ever like like what's your turnaround time uh after the drops to get everything shipped out because i know you sharpen after day. the drop yeah well oh, really? so if the drop yeah, if the drop happens at noon, usually we can ship out every order that happened like before three. Really? Uh, even even yeah. counting the sharpening? Wow. Yeah. I'm yeah. impressed. Uh, Zeke's, Zeke is on it, man. Like, nice. an order comes through and he just picks it up and goes, and like five minutes later, it's ready. Nice. I'm actually impressed that Zeke has time to, to do that. Like, Jacob is basically fully backed up. He might have like 10 minutes of idle time outside of his break and lunch in a day. Well, I mean, we're only. Our, we're not making as many actual parts as you are. Plus, we only have true. one machine and two hour yeah, cycle turns. Um, and like if, if Zeke is, and that's kind of like if Zeke is running assembly or sharpening, like I'll go and whatever needs to be manned. Yep. Yep. Um, yeah, you're the you're the fill in tech basically. 
Yeah, we just swap around for whatever's convenient. Okay. Yeah, cool. and I, of course, am doing it unassembled because I'm making scissors. Right. Real scissors that you can open up way farther, it would uh, be possible to do it assembled. Yeah. And then there are machines for resharpening scissors that are just oh. like kind of slightly modified little okay. bench grinders. Uh, but I, 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 I don't really think it's going to be super possible with my design. Yep. Yep. I mean, like you could probably do a light stoning or something to resharpen them, but the like machines made for sharpening scissors, I don't think would work with my scissors. Speaking yeah. of, I actually watched them. Um, I don't know if you've probably seen it too, David. Um, I think it's by Business Insider or whatever that, the that Ernest Wright, channel I is. Get... Yeah, I watched the video on that one, why they're so expensive. People tell me to watch that video like every day. Do they really? <laughs> yeah, it's like I've seen like a hundred different videos on how to make scissors, and like the most popular one are like, "Well, have you seen it? Just do what they oh, do." It's like I know what they do. They use drop forged blanks and have yeah, they're drop forged blanks, and they have those seventy really year old, old machines that aren't made anymore, yeah, and then really have ten years grinder. of experience. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And guess what? Uh, it takes like months to get them, but I finally oh, yeah. got in the mail. I bought some of their scissors. Oh, did you? How are they? And I I got them in the mail uh, just a few days ago. Well, I haven't really used them oh, okay. for anything, but uh, I only got them like a couple days ago. Yep. Uh, but that's pretty cool. So nice. That's sweet. I might yeah, I just try to... to come across that video organically. Thought that was kind of entertaining. It's a good video, and uh, multiple people have uh, uh, made videos of their shop, and it's pretty cool. And they have some good stuff on Instagram too, and. Yep. Uh, yeah, Grace Horn, who makes cool scissors, and I like. Uh, she, I think, briefly worked for them. Oh, really? Um, okay. So I definitely respect them and stuff. It's just like yeah. I try not to get to get annoyed, but I can't help it a oh, little bit that people. Yeah, no, like, I didn't mean anything. Like you should take anything why, away from it. Not, not, not you, not you. Just yeah, uh, people, I can understand like, click my videos for the first you time, and it's like, don't you uh-huh. know? Yeah, right. Um, um, I mean, the two things I really took away from it that I enjoyed was one, seeing the grinder. And two, the title of "Put Together." Yeah, that's what everyone likes is the putter together. <laughs> put, yeah, the the put that's, together. That's where it's like, yeah, I can tell this is going to take me years to be like actually good at it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm I'm doing the best I can. Oh, yeah, and, I uh, and if I I I do think there is hope for uh, grinding curves into the blades in the future. Nice. Uh, and if I if I do try that. Uh, that might make it easier the per putting okay. together a ring. Nice. Um, do you have a fourth axis for the Tormach? I do. Um, I don't think I want to use it for this project though. Okay, because I that I have bad ideas all the time, and the first thing I thought of was put a, a big uh, cupped grinding wheel in the Tormach. What's crazy then... though is I have measured some scissors and like looked at like these old machines found pictures and stuff uh-huh. and like the size of radius I would need is like insane. It's not um, like 10 inches or something more. Yeah. You know, uh, like octane, uh, uh, what is it called? You know, on octane Instagram. Yeah. Octane mm-hmm. Urkeling. He made scissors for some company once and, oh. uh, to get like a slight hollow in the, uh, not like along the length, but scissors usually also have kind of a hollow on the inside too. Okay. Uh, he made a huge, like three foot wheel that he a- attached to the back of a lathe. Oh God. And, and then like put sandpaper or, or some kind of abrasive around that. 
and then use that to to put the hollow in like jeez damn um that's horrifying yeah it's 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 like such a subtle thing right um that it's not just like mm-hmm. oh just just uh get a six inch wheel on a two by 72 grinder or whatever it's no like, it, it you need special stuff yep, to do it's it. my giant spinning death machine um but but this week uh especially today has gone pretty good for me nice. i had frustration you know a lot of uh last week and uh and there's some you know i uh i walked in to use my probe and saw the tip was broken off and i don't even know how it happened oh no because it wasn't like when i was using it so i must have like put it on the shelf and bumped into it without even oh. knowing but today was really great because i made a ton of blades this is like the most blades i've made in a day oh probably nice. and uh or at least i'm doing op two. i you know, have done different ops on different days. Yeah. Um, and I was, I had, uh, said that I had anodized parts that didn't come out great. They, uh, were kind of the wrong shade of green to the sample. I had them do, they were a little dirty and, and I feel like the tolerances, which is my fault. I feel like the tolerances weren't as good as they could be. Okay. And so I, I got my other anodized parts back, uh, cause they offered to do a, a second round for free since, they had problems mm-hmm. and uh and these ones were great they're the color looks really good and and nice. i did a better job with the tolerances i think awesome um and uh so i put together one pair of scissors with them and measured them and everything's looking good there and so yeah I, I, lots of stuff's just like chugging along and kind of picking nice. up more speed so you were happy is, with, with with that pair that you assembled yeah That's i exciting. uh they they don't have blades made with uh the newest uh, water jet or laser cut blanks okay. that I'm now running. And so um, I think that I can do a better job sharpening and get better surface finishes and slightly tighter tolerances on the next round. It should be better. Um, and so I'm now trying to figure out like how much, how many blades I want to send out to heat treating. And then I might start trying to do some heat treating myself as well, just to, Speed th- speed things along. Yeah, I mean, yeah, at least for like the prototyping and and smaller batch work, I, th- I think it is faster to do that in house. Yeah, I mean, the thing was, is I thought I was past the prototyping, and right. that's why I wanted to do, you know, find a solution that worked with other people heat treating. But yep. because it is still like only doing a few at a time. I mean, the most blades I've sent to heat treating places probably like twelve. Okay. Um. You know, I haven't done anything huge because it's been, you know, kind of inconsistent. And it's, and it's been inconsistent partially because I've been inconsistent because I've been trying to work with companies to yep. see if they can put the bend in or right. or trying different hardnesses and lots of stuff like that. And so, yeah, but I, I think I've, you know, pretty, pretty much found a recipe for things. Um, I'm a. I'm kind of trying to figure out tumbling. I, I've gotten better surface finishes out of the machine, and so I feel like tumbling goes better, but I still feel like maybe it's taking longer than it should. Okay. Um, how long do you feel like it should take to get rid of tool marks from a not-hardened blade? Like not hardened? Just, just, uh, I mean, uh, like... like how, how aggressive of tool marks are we talking? I mean, they're pretty fine. It's like... I found a three thou step over 
works well and it's like a 60 thou radius i mean the cups if the fusion tells you the cusp height and it's like you know millionths of an inch or yeah something. like 50 million or something maybe even i less. mean i don't know if tumble will will ever truly smooth it out enough I'm, what i I'm what so i feel like that. is is like i had way worse surface finishes and it's like it gets rid of tool marks but only if you look at it from one angle basically Right. And now it's the tool, the finished tool path is like really good. And so now it's like a lot more angles. Yep. You kind of aren't really seeing it, but right. there still is some angles where you're seeing the tool marks. Yep. I mean, for reference, I tumble my tie handles for eight hours in the most aggressive Jeez. media I can get. And even then, like, so, you know, I surface all the faces on them. Um, and I service them pretty quick. I'm going to like, you know, it's it's probably a, a two or three thousand chip load, but a, a really small step over. So it still has a, um, you know, like a scalloped kind of look to it just a little bit. You know, you can see the individual yeah. cuts. Um, and that 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 doesn't get fully gone even after eight hours. And the, I, I, mean, I think that's basically what I'm going to have to do. And uh-huh. uh, before I had slightly larger laser cut parts, I kind of couldn't do that. Uh, but now I can. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I'm still tumbling is the thing I'm kind of least happy about. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> oh yeah, you were doing a whole bunch of things with uh, keeping parts off the walls and all that. Yeah, it's is a never ending, never ending battle. That actually works really good. Nice. Okay. Like, really, really good. I if I if I had to do it again, I would 3D print like something bigger that was just fully on the wall sort of thing but right oh i never post this i 3d printed like some bumps and stuff that worked pretty good instead of the bolts okay. Ah, okay cool yeah yeah because um the bolts would catch things or yep. jam them and if yeah. you three, like weird cylinder triangle things stuff slides off better so yep. yeah and it's sacrificial so i mean you can just put a new one in whenever you want yeah, I would if I was to do it again, I would make a 3D print that was like a very gentle wave. Um, OK, like just rolling hills kind of. I don't know how to describe yeah. this. Yeah, like I don't just have parts that. Yeah, parts just something stick. not flat. Yeah, they don't stick to the walls, but they ride the walls up and then back down and up and then back down. It hasn't been yeah. an issue, mm-hmm. but I see it and it annoys me, even though they come out fine. Yeah, my, so, my frustration is I feel like the water gets dirty super fast. Oh, it does. And and the like valve for mine, you have to put it like so so close Same. to closed. Yep. Or else the machine floods, or you know the tumbler floods. Yep. Yeah, it totally. doesn't flood, but you know it gets. Yep. Full of water gone, and super slow tumbling. I've gone through four or five water pumps of of various grades and qualities and and CFMs or whatever. Uh because the dirty water builds up in it and it just burns out. Oh, I haven't had one burn out. I just think maybe it's too powerful a pump or something because you have to close it so tight. Yeah, I run mine full blast. Really? <laughs> yeah, oh. I mean, it doesn't clog. Um, are are, are they like that. swimming in a bath in there? Is it like tumble soup? No. Um, wow, okay. I huh. just, yeah, I just need a, it, the problem isn't the pump. I just need a bigger drain or something. Right. And I mean, I'm using I'm, a bowl, I'm, and I don't think any of you guys. Well, I, I, maybe John, you have a small bowl. Yeah, I used I have to a big bowl. A lot of bowls. I do have a bowl tumbler. I, I think it's a one or one and a half cubic foot bowl, so it's not quite as big as yours. Um, okay, but it holds, I think, fifty or seventy-five pounds of media. 
Hmm. Um, I only use that with my small porcelain balls for the aluminum handles, which has been working really well, by the way. Nice. Awesome. And I run them dry. So is it from CM Topline? Uh, no, I bought it off McMaster for way too much money. <laughs> of the actual it's a tumbler? Story. Yeah, it's a long story. Um, oh, okay. I know oh, that would have been a no- lot of money. Is it Nova or Noga or something? Noga is a company that makes <clears throat> like machine indicator stands. But yeah, they make it's, the. I think it's like N. I know it's not Noga. It might be Nova or something. Um, it's a reputable brand. Um, I just paid the McMaster tax on it. I bought this before I got my my uh, Mr. Deber actually. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah, hey, I. Kaylin, if you... <laughs> Never mind. You can go ahead. <laughs> I. I mean, I. I know, like, uh, Grimsmo bought like a paper band filter for his tumbler. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I'm I'm assuming those are expensive, but they are. It'd be nice to have something to not have to like change out the water so frequently, right? I mean, I need yeah. filters for all of my equipment. I need a filter for the grinder, my two mills, and the tumbler, and I just haven't done any of them because it's expensive. Yeah, I think just having a bigger bucket for the the tumbler would probably help a it lot. Would help. Yeah. Yeah, I'm using like a seven gallon bucket. Maybe I and I can't fill it all the way because of where the pump is, but I could try it. Okay. I mean, that'd be such a pain to use like a, you know, big tub. Right. I bought a really small, uh, like the pump fits in the palm of my hands because I burned out the original one way long ago. Mm-hmm. Um, it's actually a really nice pump. It's lasted longer than any other pump so far. It was like 20 or 30 bucks off Amazon. Um, but because it's so small, I hang it right at the top. So all the sediment goes to the bottom and it's not circulating the sediment as much. Mm. It's not a good solution, but it's, it's definitely improved the water life. I just built a sink right next to the tumbler. So I change it out every day. (laughs) (laughs) That's really nice. Yeah. Also speaking of things we've probably already talked a million times about on this podcast, I, I, uh, on these new blades, I'm doing a semi finishing pass, which I said I would try. keep going well so what i what i'm doing is like i run the eight flute 60 thou i run a a rough one that goes like at 90 inches a minute and a 10 thou step over and it leaves a pretty smooth finish but that you can definitely see kind of the tool like curls in the you know as it goes along and Mm -hmm. uh um but it makes like a pretty mirror finish and then I run it. I leave two thou axial and two thou radial. I don't know if you, maybe I only need axial or something. But uh, then I run at like forty inches a minute with a the same tool, but a, a fresh one. Okay. Is this hard or soft? This is soft. Okay. Okay. John, is that working out good? Yeah, I th- I think so. I'm. I don't know. I feel like maybe there's a limit to the rigidity and accuracy of my machine so yeah it doesn't add as much time as i thought it would but it, it definitely adds this you know fair bit of time yeah it'll give you more accuracy in the i mean run, compared your guys cycle time sounds so long compared to mine um we are all hard milling though yeah Yo, so yeah. It, i mean it, it to, to run it it's like an hour and a half to make two blades oh i mean that's actually, that's, that's actually that's actually that's about yeah. the same or slightly longer than than where I'm at right now. Although that's, and I that's don't subject have, to change. And my rapids are like, you know, 100 inches a minute. Yeah, no. Yeah, exactly. 
So um, I think for my full blade palette as it stands right now for all six bevels is uh it's under four hours for all six. So God, so did, did you think uh, did you have an objection to my semi finishing pass, John? Um how much are you leaving after the rough stock to leave? Two thou up and two thou to the side. And then the semi finish leaves how much though? Oh sorry, sorry. Oh, so the roughing leaves uh ten thou. Yep. Uh, I think I think it's ten thou, or maybe it's I don't want to open fusion, but it might be ten thou of both, and then this, and then I leave two thou of both. What's the 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 diameter of the tool? Quarter inch. With so a, you probably, it's, the, with a, but with a sixty thou radius, it's a bull nose. So if you're leaving. Are you leaving two thou on the semi finish for the final finish because you've had like shatter marks, or you're getting that weird like uh, kind of pattern? Is it? It's basically I, like the end mill is walking around type I, pattern. I'm, I'm only leaving two thou because I have a vague distant memory of one of you guys saying that's what you do. <laughs> the reason yeah and so that but that was for hard milling which is like unfortunately kind of different because the thing i read on hard milling and like of course it's a paper so it's completely different as far as their setup goes but it was like one to two percent tool diameter for a semi finish for a final for a final finish so like if your tool diameter for your final was a quarter inch you'd want to leave one to two percent after your semi Yep. And so that's like probably where that number comes from, because that's, you know, that's uh, what's one percent would be like two and a half. Hour. So are you arguing hour. I should leave more material or that I should uh, just not do a semi finish? No, you should definitely do a semi finish, but you should be probably leaving more material. Yeah, I, I think the first time I tried it, <clears throat> I left a little bit more and uh, I left like five thou. And then I, I switched to two thou just because I, I thought I remembered you guys saying that. I yeah. I don't know if I could see a big difference between two or five. Okay. Well, obviously, what happens is like, as you increase your stock to leave, you're going to increase how much a load that tool sees by quite a bit. I mean, I mean, quite a bit is a relative term, but right. I mean, in, if you're milling soft, you may actually see a slight tool life improvement by leaving a little bit more material for it to bite into. Yeah, and then another but thing is finish issue. Yeah, because that radius is so big too. The bigger bite on the tool might be better. Yeah, I. Yeah, I don't think I've done enough like consistent runs to like know even what the tool life is. Yeah, I've but changed like, I mean, stuff so often. Yeah. Um, yep. But, but I figure. You know, yeah, it's something I could look at. I I feel yep. like. My idea was that um, I wanted just less tool pressure, and I didn't think I'd be rubbing taking two thou. So, yeah, less, Which, I less mean, tool at the pressure you're would going, be better. At the feed rate you're going, you probably aren't. Although I was, I was thinking if you're not happy with the finish yet after tumble, you could slow down the finish, uh, but, leave leave a little more stock, and then slow down the finish a little bit. So I've run like sixteen blades this way. Okay, and. I feel like the only issue I don't like is on a couple of them. I noticed just like one line would be kind of gouging deeper than all the rest. And uh, I feel like that's probably more of a machine issue or something. 
is it always in the same place? No, I don't think so. Mm. That makes me want to rule out like machine motion. Well, I just yeah, my worry like, is that like, like it just the Z is like it goes down to the wrong Z height by you know a tenth, and it leaves a deeper mark. Was the Euler on when it does this? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's on the timer. and I mean, like, was it oiling while it was running? Because that can actually move your machine oh. in an inex- unexpected way. Depending well, yeah, on- I was saying that it's on a timer that's connected to the, to the spindle. So that's the only time it does run, except if I hit it. Gotcha. Could be. It's probably a chip being drugged, though. If it's a brand. Yeah. Well, or I think it's just slight bend in the blades that either already existed or happens. And even though it's bolted down, it has, you know, some minor amount of flex that, that I don't know. It's weird that it only happened in one pass though. Yeah. It's frustrating trying to tumble that stuff out. Cause it's like, it's the one line. And if it's deeper than the, it's neighbors, then it will not tumble until it's neighbors are that deep. And then you end up having to tumble for like 10 hours. <laughs> I was kind of trying to avoid ever having to do any blasting, but I'm starting to reconsider it. Yeah. Depending on how deep the little gouge is, blasting could very well hide it more than well enough. Yeah. As much as I hate the process of blasting, boy, is it real nice for consistency. And yeah. I'm worried about, uh, depending on who I go with and how I do it, uh, scale from heat treating, I feel like it could be easier to just blast it away than to try to tumble it out. Oh, yeah, definitely. Scale or just like discoloration? Sorry, discoloration. Okay, yeah, I can't. I, well, if you have a smooth bevel, it'll tumble off really nicely. But if you have textured bevels, uh, and you have discoloration from heat treat, it basically will not fully tumble out. Yeah. Yeah. I um I think it's 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 more like things like the plunge line and um just, uh, tight, yeah, just tight areas that I don't get. think I can tumble without getting yeah. super tiny media. Yeah. Have you thought about just making your plunge line a larger radius? It was a huge radius. Uh oh. it was it was like an inch and uh, three quarters or something radius, um, like bigger than any knife, because I wanted to be able to use my horizontal grinder to clean it up if I wanted to. Okay. Uh, right. Now I'm trying a more normal size knife plunge, because because uh, like I, I think I don't know if we talked about it, but you know I'm trying to talk to manufacturers about uh, making my blades potentially, yep. and uh, I think that was one of the things that would be good to change. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the reason the I made the Opus plunge so sweeping and large for the sole purpose of having more consistent tumble in there. Mm. Yeah, and it's, it did work uh, out really nicely, but it, it depends because if it's a smaller plunge, then uh, if you have har- a harder time getting good tool marks, good uh, machining lines in the plunge, then like you don't want that problem to be a bigger area. Right. You know yeah. Mean? Yep. So th- these last 16, I did have a much smaller plunge. Uh, and like, maybe if you looked close at it, it would be worse looking, but it's like such a small area and it does look pretty good. And the tumbling can get it enough that I'm pretty happy with it. I was a little worried about it, but I'm pretty happy with it. 
Nice. I mean, it sounds like you're basically ready for production, though. I'm kind of I kind of feel like I'm in production now. That's ex- um, that's awesome. Nice. Very cool. It's weird. Uh, there's different different things are in different stages. Yeah. And so, uh, uh, you know, selling. May- maybe I'm up to two or three that I could sell. Uh, but it's it's all like, I I wish they were all like, yep, they all were exactly the same process. They all have exactly the same tolerances. You know, like. They all get like a little better and like the difference between them being a little better than the last is still big enough that it's like, uh, you know, like, should I just try to revert the changes to all of them? And I don't know, but that that's not even the biggest thing stopping yep. and, and it's still. Okay. One question I actually have for you that's sort of tolerance related. Um, do you turn off your Tormach when you're done with it and then rehome it and then go from there in the mornings? Yeah, last uh, last episode I was talking about how I also like reprobe every day. Oh, you do? Okay, yep. Yeah, because what I would end up doing, because the dilemma switches on Tormox are pretty garbage, I just never turn it off. I I don't know if that would be better or worse. Um, it, At least when you it's re- something I've done before. Okay, yep. And I, and I feel like when I was in school or... Or I don't or where I work. I don't remember. Do you guys turn off your machines? I do. Yeah. On yeah. like on yeah. my like on the more industrial VMCs, I I okay. trust them. Because uh, I think some people don't. I but I they, mine auto turns off, but it like in the week it's running five days straight. Like we I mean, come yeah, in like, the morning. Yeah, my mighty gets turned that's, off that's maybe true. once a week, but the Miltronics gets turned off every night. Yeah, I um like to just quickly summarize uh. I think that the limit switches are usually less than a thou off from day oh, to day. It's actually impressive for the Tormach. Um, but then occasionally it's just slightly more and it's like, okay, I want to just try to run through, make sure there's no chips or anything weird, you yep. know, on the limit switch. Cause, uh, and that's what I'm afraid of is, is just not checking it and, and it having a day where it's like five thou off and just, yep. you know, Messing up a fixture or something. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Uh, I think it's been slightly more than an hour. Yeah, uh, a good place to call it. Did uh, yeah, I I don't know if uh, we left out anything. You know, uh, you kind of started us off, Grant, but you didn't. I mean, yeah, you, I don't think you completely talked about your week, maybe. Yeah, it's been ups and downs and lefts and rights, but uh, Dale and I had a bet by yep. Halloween we would um, each create our own uh, sequential serializing macros. And yep. I cheated. You cheated hard. The hospital built-in macro. <laughs> it's, it's still, it took me a little bit, but yeah, uh, yeah. Um, certainly not as hard as Dalen's. But we both, we both got it. Um, yep. So the, yeah, the bet was we had to get it done by either the 31st or the 1st. I forget which day, honestly. Um, yeah. Otherwise, whoever didn't get it done had to send a knife to the other person. Um, and i i squeaked in at the last minute on the 31st is when i started it and i spent like five or six hours straight (laughs) and i did it completely from the ground up custom i had to post i posted out a zero through nine of the font i wanted and then everything from there was all just macro logic damn yeah you know it it was hard for me too. my g code was uh like four lines 
Um, you know, <laughs> it was there was a written, there was a video tutorial with it. Yep. You know. So it would have been done faster for me. Tormox macro programming is bad. It's you know i totally for- bad. I forgot you were doing this on the Tormach. <laughs> yes, I was trying to treat it like I do it on a Fanook or a Haas. Um, yeah. The only way that you can have like if statements or conditional statements is if they're nested inside a subprogram. Okay, uh, so you had, wait, so they're all oh, individual subprograms? Well, so I have to do a subprogram for the 0 through 9, obviously. But yeah. then all of the conditional uh, logic from there that actually would call up those those uh, subprograms, depending on certain things, those right. had to be inside the subprogram. So I did all the logic oh thinking it was like a Fanook, and it didn't work. And so I literally just had to nest all of those into their own separate subprograms and then call the subprogram after. So it, it it was just like convoluted for no reason. Yeah, wow, that's wild. Super, super weird. But I got it done, and it works, and I'm happy. Nice. Yeah, it's 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 going to save us so much time because we both of us were just posting them out by hand every single like every day. Yeah, it, it, I really, I I never realized how like tiresome it was until uh-huh. it's no longer a part of my routine, and it's like, yep. oh, I just I click the middle and then I leave. Right. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm disappointed that it took me this long because I mean, macro programming is one of my favorite things to do. Um, yeah. And it's something I've wanted to do for like a year and a half, yeah. and it just took I, you finally convincing just, me to. We we both needed the push because I I was it was on my mind and I tried it a while ago. Okay. And I, I couldn't get over because I, I tried to write it. I don't know if I talked to you about this. I tried to write it uh, on the mill the first time I oh, tried it. Oh, okay. And what I didn't realize is the the built in macro, um, it doesn't like if you use your RPM and your feed. Because the macro itself doesn't call RPM and feed. It, oh. You need to call RPM and feed and then run the macro. Gotcha. Okay. Which is weird for me. So, I, so the first time I tried it, I tried to put it all basically in one line because nope. I was like, Surely I put RPM and feed right here. And you think it, it uses those as a call out? Yeah, and it and it was giving me errors left and right, and I never got it. And then what I ended up doing is I just I run my um, the S thirty five VM yep. as a just a normal fusion engraving yep. pass, yep. and then I just can't, like shoved in my macro G code. So the the mill runs that, and it's like we're still engraving, and then it just okay. goes right I- into the macro, and it worked. It worked flawlessly after that. Hell yeah. That's just awesome. Just dial in the size and the location and everything. That's awesome. So yeah, I think we're both very happy that's done. Yeah, and I'm, uh, I'm excited to get it. I'll have to figure out eventually. Yep. I mean, once you get there, let me know. I will share my entire program. Well, I, I'm doing laser engraving right now, uh, so okay. maybe I'll never do it. <laughs> I mean, that's but I want to learn do. more about macros. Yeah, I'll post up my entire my entire program in the general chat for you just to check it out if you want. That's yeah, cool. Yeah, and... Uh, John, if you want the Haas macro, I, you know, I'll post the, the four lines uh, video. <laughs> Hell yeah. If, it's, if it saves me any time, I'll appreciate it. And it's podcast really listeners, you don't get anything. <laughs> yeah, you can I mean, just if, wait. If anyone, yeah, if anyone's running Haas and they can't figure it out, you can, you can DM me or email me. I'll, I'll, just post the four know. lines as a screenshot on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. No context. All right. Cool. Should we call it here? Yeah. (laughs) Goodbye. See you. Goodbye.